grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I got a number of slides today. So I'm going to move here so I can do this, right? We are continuing our series on the search for significance. And it's based on a book written by Robert McGee. And some of you came up to me at church last Sunday and said, That sounds like a great book. Uh, do you have a copy of it? We do now. And so they're outside for a suggested donation of $10. So if you don't have it, don't worry about it. Take it. Okay? We're here to equip you. Um, and this is what our series is based on, and it's, it's phenomenal. So if you want to get more in-depth into what we're talking about on Sunday mornings, grab that book. Okay? Last week we talk about, talked about one of Satan's lies. And one of his lies is that uh, you must succeed in order to be happy and valuable and important to others. That your self-worth is based on your performance, which is a double-edged sword. Because when things are going poorly in your life, uh, you're tempted to think, wow, I I can't succeed, I'm I'm doing poorly, something must be wrong with me. That I have less value to others and to God. The, The other side of the sword is that when things go well in your life and you're doing great and things are just clicking and you're moving right along, you think, wow, check me out. Check me out. I am doing fantastic. And you become greater and God becomes lesser in your life. That's the first lie. The second lie is this. I must be approved by other people to feel good about myself. Sometimes we call this approval addiction. And uh, every now and then, someone will come up to me after church and say, wow, Pastor, you, you were speaking right to me. You just, you just read my heart. And, and that's not going to be the truth, the case today. Today I'm preaching to myself. You just happen to be here. Because this is what I struggle with. I remember when I was at seminary. And I took this class called Homiletics 1, which is like your preaching class, your first preaching class. And, and I took the class, and I, I did fine. I did well, actually. And so I, then I took homiletics two, thinking, I can do this. this is, I can handle this class. Turn in, uh, my first assignment was to outline a sermon. And I turned it in. And the next class I show up to, my outline is on an overhead projector and displayed on the wall. And I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. He's going to use my outline as an example of, of, an, of a way to do a sermon. No. He had my name covered up with a piece of paper. And he proceeded to go through the outline and destroy it, piece by piece. And then he turned and knocked the piece of paper that was covering up my name off the overhead projector and displayed it to the whole class. Then proceeded to use the same outline in all the other classes. And I'll never forget, it was a Monday. It was a Monday before Thanksgiving. And uh, Heather and I were scheduled, to, we were going to go see her folks for Thanksgiving and leave, you know, after class on Wednesday. Or actually Wednesday morning, we're going to leave. I get back to our, our little tiny apartment Monday evening, and I start packing up the car. She says, what are you doing? I said, we're leaving. And she noticed I was packing more than just for a few days. And she said, how long? I don't know. 
we may not be coming back. We drove all night long. I didn't tell her why we were leaving until like two hours later. I said, this is what happened. You see, I had been given some good words about my preaching beforehand, but then I got one bad word, and I was devastated. Devastated. Are you there? You've been there? And we hear hard words, and, and, and they're, sometimes they're devastating. They're words like, you know, pack up your office, you're fired. I heard that word. That was <laughs> It's that F on your paper. And why do those teachers use red pens? I mean, can't they use like chartreuse or a light blue or something like that? And you're devastated. It's the friend who ignores your texts or phone calls. It's, it's the boyfriend or girlfriend or even spouse who says, I just don't love you anymore. And you're devastated. Those are hard, hard words. We've all been there. And all of us have those times in our lives where we, we look at ourselves and we say, I am value only to the extent that other people think I'm valuable or have worth. So I want to ask you these questions here. See if these apply to you. I call them approval trap questions. Do you avoid certain people? When you sense that someone might reject you, you become nervous and anxious. I'm uncomfortable around those uh, who are different from me. It really bothers me when someone, maybe even a complete stranger, is unfriendly to me. I'm basically shy and unsocial. Not that shy is a bad thing. Shy is a good thing. But shy and I can't even talk to people, that's not a good thing. I'm critical of others. So words are used to, to control me, so I use my words to try to control others. I'm critical of others. I find myself trying to impress others. I become depressed when someone criticizes me. That's not what I, want. I always try to determine what people think of me. I don't understand people and what motivates them. If you're reading that list and going, oh yeah, oh yeah, that, that fits. That fits. That's me a lot of those times. And you've taken on Satan's lie that your value and worth is dependent on what others think of you. And that's not God's truth. It's not God's truth for you. And when we believe that lie, we, we slide into a whole host of effects that are approval addiction effects. And the first is, is anger. You find that when someone makes a critical comment to you, maybe even just a casual acquaintance, maybe that, that person in the store or that business person or that someone you're trying to serve, they make, they make some critical comment and you relive it over and over and you just get more and more angry and upset. The more angry you get, the more resentful you get, and pretty soon you're just bitter. Angry. Another one is, is easily manipulated. Some of you here say yes to everything. And you hate it. And you're exhausted. 
and you're burnt out and someone will ask you something else and you'll say, oh sure, I'd be happy to do that. And you walk away going, why did I say that? Inside I was screaming, no, no, back off you demon from hell. I will not do it, right? And you're like, oh yes, I'd be happy to. I'd love to. And it's great to serve, it's great to help, but when you're burnt out and you're exhausted, you end up just just being angry at the other people that you're serving because you're like, ah, I'm tired. I'm tired. I just want to rest. Codependency. If words are very powerful in your life, you will, you will do things so that others will say nice words to you even when it hurts the other person. So you'll take on their behavior and you'll make sure it, that's not so painful for that person. And that's called codependency. You'll make sure that the other person's behavior doesn't hurt that person as much. Just so they'll think nice things of you. That's hard. It hurts both you and that other person. Another effect is, is control. This is approval addiction on the offensive. So words are very powerful in your life, and you want people to think well of you, and so you'll make them think well of you. You'll control certain situations, or what I see more often is that you'll make sure they think less of other people. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, isn't she a piece of work? Be like, if I make them think less of this other people, they'll think better of me. Because... I'm nicer and kinder and uh, better looking. It's approval addiction on the offense. Here's a good one. Repeating negative messages. Some words just stick. And they stay with you. And you relive them over and over and over again. And there's that bitterness in your heart. And they say that bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's bitterness. You relive it in situations or words. It's repeated over and over again. You'll be in the shower and that word will, and that word will pop in your head again. You'll be like, oh, not again. Not again. It's like we do the reverse of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says... His delight is on the word of the Lord, and on his word he meditates day and night. And we do the reverse. We're like, their pain is on the words of others, and on those words they meditate day and night. That's a bad, bad trap. You get stuck in there. And God gives you his word to build you up and to center your identity in Christ. And far too often those hurtful words uh, tear you down and center your identity and your insecurities and your fear. God has a good word for you. Sometimes we're, we're hypersensitive to other people's words. Someone will say something and you'll hear it completely differently. You usually don't recognize this in yourself, but you recognize it in other people. Have you ever had that experience of like uh, you're supervising someone and and they give you a project or they, they do a task and you're like, well, this is really good. If you could just fix this part of it, it'll be great. 
and then you hear back later that you hated the project, that you tore them down completely, and you're like, wait, I didn't say that at all. I said I like this part, and this part needs fixing. And uh, you are supervising a hyper-sensitive person whose words are really powerful in their life. And the opposite is hyposensitivity. There are some people who just don't care at all. And they'll act in certain ways and they'll say certain things to make sure you know that they don't care. And that you can't possibly hurt them with your words. Because they're too good for them. Yeah, some of you are thinking someone right now, aren't you? Yeah. See, last week we said this. That Satan's lie is this. That self-worth equals performance plus others' opinions. This week, we're looking at this, that Satan's lie is self-worth equals performance plus others' opinions. And they're both a lie. God's answer is this. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. See, last week, we looked at God's answer as justification. That we believe the lie that our self-worth, that our identity is based on our performance. And we said, no, that's not true. Your worth in life and your identity is based on Christ's work, his performance for you. That he died upon a cross and that by that act declares you righteous and child of God. We looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul states, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that you might become the righteousness of God. It's a declarative act. And when God declares things, it is true and so and done finished. God creates by his word and it is. God redeems by his word and it's so. God gives promises that he never breaks and it's done. It is finished. Today we're looking at the relationship side of that. That not only has God done it, it was his joy to do so because of his incredible love for you. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him have eternal life. It's done, it's God's gift to you. And he did it because he loves you. Not because he had to. Not because he was compelled to. No one compels God to do anything. He did it because he loves you. And some of you hear that and you're like, well, of course God loves me. He, he kind of has to. Because you know he's God and all. That's what God does, right? Of course, he loves me. So what? And sometimes we have love like that for our kids, right? I remember uh, when our kids were little, we had Emma and David, and you know, Emma was three, and David was one, and, and those are tough years. That's a tough season. I remember my dad calling me up, or I think I called my dad, and my dad said, so, son, how's it going? I'm like, Dad, come pick up these grandkids of yours if you want them, because I'm done. I've had it. And my dad said, son... Can I tell you a story of what your brother and you did to me when I was sleeping? I'm like, no, oh, which story, Dad? Well, my dad was a cop. 
And so he'd come home from work on a swing shift, he'd be exhausted, he'd sleep on the couch. Where apparently this one time, either my brother or myself, we don't know who, saw this snoring open mouth. And my dad could snore with the best of them, you know. Called him the grizzly bear. Snored huge. And apparently his mouth was wide open and looked like a perfect place for us to, you know, deposit the remains of our diaper in his mouth. I said, Dad, we did that to you? He's like, yeah. I said, Dad, it was, it was Trav. It wasn't me. It was my twin brother, Trav. He's like, well, we, we checked your hands. They were both messy. I'm like, yeah. You're not going to pick up the grandkids, are you? <laughs> nope. They're all yours, son. All yours. Enjoy. God declares you righteous by what he has done and really does love you. Really loves you because you're his kid. It's a love that doesn't change based on your behavior. It's a love that's steady and sure and constant and eternal. That's God's love for you. I mean, deep down, what would you do to save your life? Anything, right? Anything. What would you do to save the life of someone you love? Anything. Do anything. God did it for you. It's a love that's so strong that Paul was inspired to write, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't do anything to make God love you less. And you can't do anything to make God love you more. His love for you is eternal and true and certain and secure it's good. Peter was inspired to write this. He said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given you new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be to be revealed in the last time. You've all seen a bumper sticker, right? I'm spending my kid's inheritance. God doesn't have that bumper sticker. It's just like, I paid for my kid's inheritance, and it's theirs, no matter what. You can walk away from God. You can say, God, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want any part of your family. I don't want any part of your inheritance. But he will never walk away from you. God will never walk away from you. No matter what others may think of you, no matter the failings in your life, God will never walk away from you. That's what his love's like. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday because it's a meal It's not much of a meal. It's like a little thing of bread and a little bit of wine. I admit, it's not much of a meal. But the Lord's Supper is a reminder 
that in, in Jesus' day, when you had a meal with someone, it meant you were friends. You were together. That's why when you read the Gospels and you see that Judas betrays Jesus right after the Lord's Supper, in the Middle Eastern context, that's mind-blowing. How could you do that after having a meal with them? The Lord's Supper is God's meal for us. It's that weekly reminder that you can see and taste God's presence and his commitment to you. He loves you. Not because he has to. Because he really loves you. And you're his. We often say God loves you like a dad. God loves you like a good father. And some of you came from homes, you're like, God loves me like a dad? Oh, I hope not. I hope not. That would not be good. Some of you struggle to know what what love like that really is. And I want to invite you to join one of our small groups or community groups. Because it's a community designated to reflect the love of God to each other. It's there for So you can learn and go, okay, God loves like this. God holds me accountable for my actions and loves me the same. God cheers for me. God rejoices with me. God mourns over me. When I mourn, God mourns. I encourage you. If you don't have community like that, hit one of our community groups. Why they're there. There. So that you will know in your head, in your heart, that Jesus Christ died and rose for you. That that action makes you righteous and justified. And that He did it because He really does love you. See, the lie is this that self worth equals performance plus other people's opinions. It's an absolute lie. The truth is this. Self-worth equals creation. You are created in the image of God. You are image bearers. Plus justification. Jesus Christ died for you. Plus reconciliation. He did it because he loves you. As we leave today, we're going to sing our, our closing song here. Rejoicing in God's love over us. And then you're going to walk out, grab some coffee, some donuts, talk to a few folks. And you go back out there, and you'll be tempted to keep continuing to believe in that lie. My prayer is that as you leave today, you, you can skip right out the door. Skip all the way to your car. That your burden has been lessened. And that instead of carrying the yoke of other people's expect, expectations and opinions carry the yoke of Jesus, his grace, his commitment, and his love. For his yoke is evil, his burden is life. He loves you. Amen? May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In your minds, you are justified by God. In your hearts, you are reconciled to May it guard you.
each and every day.